Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. Nehemiah chapter 2, if you would go there this morning, we'll take a few minutes and we'll look at, and I, I told Pastor Brandon, and my heart was that I would stay within your theme of faith over fear. And so faith over fear would lead me to the point of uh, a story of Nehemiah, uh, and it would talk to us in this particular passage about moving forward with God in spite of opposition, in spite of challenges, which we all have. And uh, God has specific ones for each of us, and that they're uniquely designed for us to bring us out uh, in the way that God would have us. He said, all things work together for good. Those are called according to his purpose. And that purpose in verse 29 of chapter 8 in Romans would be that we would be conformed more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so he brings those things, allows those things in our lives to mold us and shape us and get us formed into that image. And so everyone's got a design unique for them. Those challenges are unique. And God uses those uh, to bring us to be more like Christ. Nehemiah chapter 2, and uh, we'll focus on verses 11 through 20. But before we get there, let me give you some background on this story. I want to give you the setting. It's as though I was given, uh, and I know my wife would love this if this were her Christmas gift this year. If I were giving her a beautiful diamond ring, I wouldn't just give it to her without being in a nice package, without it being nicely wrapped. With the presentation would carry something about that gift that it was important and it was delightful and it was something to take note of. Now, what I don't expect her to do is to keep that gift box, <laughs> that wrapping, and admire that as much as the ring. However, the carrying case for that and the delivery and presentation of that's very important. And so when we come to a study and we jump right in the middle of a chapter two, it's good that I bring the presentation to you and to give you the setting uh, for it to help give us some background and give us an idea of where Nehemiah is coming from and how it applies to us uh, as we gather together this morning. Now, once that package is given to you, just sort it back in your mind, take the delivery of chapter 2 and what's going to come from these verses, then it may adjust us to be a little bit more like Christ today. So let me start off with asking you a few questions. I'm back to the think and the think part. Let me ask you a few questions, because when we get into Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 20, Nehemiah took aim on what was given before him, and that's really what I'm asking us to do this morning, that we would take aim. As we look to move forward with God, as you look to move forward with God, and believe me, I'm preaching this message as much to myself as I would be to anyone else, that we would take aim on what's before us, and we would move forward with God, not without Him, not only with ourselves, but with Him. And God says, with God, all things are possible. So we need to move forward with him. I want you to think about this. When we get to this passage this morning, I want you to think about a few things. Ask yourself these questions. What, what do you see is the greatest challenge across the United States today? Think about some of the greatest challenges across the United States. Think about some of the greatest challenges as I talk about what we do with our ministry. Uh, I would think about what are the greatest challenges facing the local church across our country and across North America and, and typically around the world, but more specifically across the United States and North America. What's the greatest challenges for the church as we talk about it this morning? And then I would say, consider this. What's the greatest challenge before the chapel church? 
today. You've been through a lot. God's seen you through a lot. And he's going to see you through more. But what do you say is the greatest challenge before you? Now, now we can take it. And those are good things to think about. Important things to think about. But it's you that's here this morning. And so the final question is, what's the greatest challenge before you this morning? Nehemiah was confronted with a great challenge. The walls were broken down. They were vulnerable to attack. So what walls might be broken down? What's the greatest challenge before you this morning? If I give you a background on Nehemiah, uh, you probably know quite a bit about Nehemiah, but in general, Nehemiah wasn't the first one to go uh, of the exiles to return and try to do a rebuilding. Uh, Zerubbabel did it about 90 years prior to that. And uh, Ezra tells us, uh, he tells us that in Ezra chapter 1 and chapter 2, but also in Ezra chapter 7, we see that uh, Ezra went to rebuild the temple, and he was successful in that part. But by the time Nehemiah gets the word on things, the temple's okay, but the people are in chaos. There's absolute disarray. And Nehemiah is given this word. You see it in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and a certain men of Judah had asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant are left of the captivity there, and the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned uh, with fire. He said, Hey, there's a problem there. And uh, it came to Nehemiah. Now understand. Understand something important about Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah was like a Greg Joyner. Nehemiah was a nobody. Nehemiah had no lineage that he could go back on historically as far as the Bible's concerned. He was a cupbearer, an important role, but of no power. He had terrific influence, but he had no authority. He was a nobody. But the Word of God spoke to him and it gave him the vision of the broken down walls in his hometown. And he was crushed over it. It affected him. And I think about that and I think about Pastor Brandon. I say he probably looked at Chapel Hill and thought, yeah, you know what? Some people have gone before us. There's some things that are religious there. But the walls are down. There's some hurting people there. There's some broken families in that community that need the gospel. And then I look out in this congregation this morning, and I think you probably have some of the same thoughts. And when we get to Nehemiah, and he comes and he says, I can use a nobody. God says, I can use a nobody. If they're yielded to him. And Nehemiah was. Good thing to think about. He leaves us with a tireless example. It gives us an example how God can use a seemingly nobody to do an extraordinary work. And that was Nehemiah. We got his book in the Bible today. I'll give you something else about Nehemiah we need to take note of. That we're without excuse. When God can use someone like Nehemiah and do a great work in him and through him, then we have to be confronted with the realized reality is 
We have no excuse. God can use anyone. That's a great challenge from Nehemiah. He gives us lots of lessons on leadership. Great book to go through time and time again and study. Gives you lots of things to go over. Prayer and leadership and diligence and faith. And those are great things. How important the Word of God is. But it's a reminder that God can use anyone. And because God uses nobodies, we don't have an excuse. The setting for Nehemiah is he gets the word, walls are down, people are vulnerable, chaos is around the place, the people are hurting. It affects his heart. So, you know, this challenge and, and what we're challenged to do when that kind of news comes to us, first thing Nehemiah does in chapter one is he prays. Great thing. Good example for us to follow. When challenge comes our way, the first thing we do is we pray. That's what Nehemiah did. And he repented. He repented not only on behalf of the people, but for himself. We have let you down, God. He included himself in that. And so he repented for himself and on behalf of the people. And then he prepares. God's preparing his heart. He's preparing. And you know the story. First part of chapter 2. He goes before the king as a cupbearer. The king notices his countenance. Do people notice when your countenance changes? Of course they do. You may not think it. Maybe you don't consider it. But they notice. King noticed. Dangerous situation for Nehemiah. Because really showing sadness around the king as a cupbearer really could have cost him his life. But prayer, preparation, presents a moment for Nehemiah and he goes before and the king notices and he asks him. And Nehemiah tells him. He prayed again. And he tells him, God had already been working in the king's heart. Now he's got the king's favor. And his king has given him blessing to go back. And not only did he give him the blessing, he wrote a letter on his behalf so it would go before him. That he could do what God called him to do. Can we take note of something else here? You never know what God is doing in the other person's heart. You don't know what government official God's working on right now for your next location. You don't know. What we're called to do is be faithful and trust God and move forward with God and have faith over fear. False evidence appearing real. We're called to do that. Nehemiah was called to do that and he did it. And God had already prepared the king's heart not only to give him favor, but to go beyond that. Give him a letter. Give him passage. Give him some support. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Come the first of 2023. And all of us, what seems like to us, all of a sudden, something becomes available. And not just available but with all kind of support. Can it happen? Of course it can happen. We don't know. We don't impose on what God's supposed to do, but we trust Him 
and do what he's called us to do now. That's what Nehemiah did. Hey, he risked it. He risked it going before the king. What a solemn expression. Hey, the king could have thought there's something wrong with his stuff here. This guy's trying to set me up. But he didn't. He had already had God working on the king's heart. Nehemiah was prepared. He presents the problem. That takes us to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11 through 20. Now, I don't want to impose on you a custom because I'm not sure exactly. I've been here before and I, I will readily admit, I'm not sure if you stand for the reading of the Word of God. And I'm not telling you that is a righteous, most righteous thing to do. I'm just telling you, I gave you a long introduction and it probably helps you to stand up to help pay attention. <laughs> so why don't we do that? Stand with me. We'll read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 20. And uh, the rest of this message, honestly, is not going to take a long time because he's gonna, we're going to take aim. We're going to take aim and uh, we're going to follow an example and a principle that Nehemiah has given us in this passage. Nehemiah chapter two, verse 11, the word of God says, so I came, Nehemiah, to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode on. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and with the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went out on the gate of the fountain and the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. And then I went up into the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rules knew not whether I went or what I did, neither I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Be no more a disgrace. Then I told them of the hand of God which was good upon me, as also the king's words that had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Father, we're thankful. We are overwhelmed at your goodness, and we're delighted to be in your house with your people. Lord, find us faithful to your word this morning. Find us with hearts open. And minds ready to receive what you have for us. Lord, adjust us all to be a little bit more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Might you increase, I decrease, and Jesus Christ be exalted in all things. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So, gave you the best shot. You can think about it. That with God, all things are possible. Nehemiah has given us a principle here in verses 11 through 12, and I call it the AIM principle. A, two I's. So it's a special AIM. A-I-I-M. 
that we can pull from these particular passages as we talk about the principles from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Let me read a story for you. Now, some of you are going to remember this. Now, not that you technically remembered it, that you were alive, but you studied a story about Winston Churchill. Let me give you a speech that you probably have heard in the past. And I want you to think about it and then say, okay, God, I, I got it. I, I think this is going to be our finest hour for the chapel church. Listen to this story. Winston Churchill, May 10th, 1940. Just before I was born, May 10th, 1940, within a couple of years. Winston Churchill was elected Prime Minister of England. It would not be long before Churchill would be responsible to keep his country together when the fury of the Third Reich and the wrath of Adolf Hitler was directed toward England. But England, under Churchill's leadership, would not break. Even during the darkest days of World War II, as Adolf Hitler's bombers pummeled English cities with a, one bomb after another, Churchill could be heard on the radio broadcasting a stubborn refusal to surrender and rallying the British people to fight on. In one particular series of speeches, as quoted from James Montgomery Boyce, a former uh, pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church there in Philadelphia, Nehemiah learning to lead, he said this, we shall not fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight in the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the hills. We shall fight never to surrender. I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. And the British Empire, in its commonwealth, last for a thousand years. Men shall say this. This was their finest hour. And you know the rest of the story. The battle went on. The battle had been invisible. Nehemiah had agonized with God for over four months. He'd seen the miracle of the king's heart turned in his favor. Now the battle was becoming as real as German bombs. He was in it. You know, can I put Nehemiah in the category of a realist? He wasn't like extremely on the positive thinking side of the world. But he wasn't a mad pessimist either. Nehemiah was a realist, which I think we all want to be, right? We want to know, okay, here's the really positive things and here's the really negative things, but... Here's the reality of the world in which we live, and Nehemiah was a realist. He said, okay, here's the circumstances. Here's what's before us, but I know the God that I serve. And so his message, similar to Churchill's, though given 2,100 years uh, earlier, in the fact that he would refuse to surrender to the enemy. He goes back to the people, which I say God's already prepared their hearts. So he only gave a short message here in verse 17. And now all of a sudden the people say, let's rise up and build. I'm thinking, wow, this guy knows how to give a speech. He gives like 15 words and all of a sudden they're ready to take the, to take the mountain. I think God already prepared their heart too. You never know who God's working on. You never know whose heart God's preparing. You never know what someone's going through. You never know someone's story. But you know what God can do in a life. 
You know how God can transform an individual person and how he can transform a community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he can transform a city and a state and a nation and a world. God can do it. And Nehemiah knew it. And he gives us the example here. Uh, But we have to be mindful of this one thing. Where opportunity comes, opposition exists. They're not inseparable. When opportunity comes before you, and you can think about any endeavor you've had in life, if it's business, if it's school, if it's whatever. When opportunity presents itself, you can be assured opposition is going to be right there. In fact, I'll go so far to say that the greater the opportunity, the more challenging the opposition is going to be before you. There's no free lunch. But it's not all bad. Because God gets to show His power. And God gets to remind us that this is His work. This is His doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. That's what Nehemiah was confronted with. And the people. So follow with me as he takes aim, and I'll give you the first one. If you're jotting notes or if you're thinking about it mentally, the first thing he did in verses 11 through 15, if you want to move forward with God and have faith over fear, Nehemiah gives us an example. The first thing he did, and I would ask us to do, Nehemiah assessed the problem. Verses 11 through 15, uh, we see how he came. He's there for three days. He goes out all alone. You know, you know, some would say that this is the, um, the challenge of leadership. That Nehemiah had to go out on his own. And he had to wrestle with some things. He had to be affected personally. And here he is. He sees it. And he is burdened in his heart. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, we're told he gets the news. And verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2... We see what he does. He assesses things. He, uh, verse 12, I rose out in the night. I, few men with me. Neither I told, I didn't tell anyone but God what he'd put in my heart. There wasn't any beast with me, no animals, except the one I was riding on. I had a burdened heart. I had gotten the news, chapter 1. My heart was broken. Now I've got to assess things. That's an important thing for us to do. Now, it was important for him to do as he's leading the people, it's important for you to do as a chapel church. It's important for you to do personally and as a family to assess things. Good time of year. I mean, we're getting close to the end of the year. Good time to assess things. And that's what Nehemiah did. He looked around. Let me, let me see what's broken. Let me see what kind of damage we're working with. I want to be an optimist I also understand that pessimism has its value. Let me live in a real world. Let me understand what the challenges are, as best I know, are before me. He assessed things. He had a burdened heart. He saw the broken walls, the first part of 13. He saw the burned gates in the last part of 13 and 14. Okay, so now he's assessing things. He sees the damage. And now he's starting to formulate what the plan should be. How best can we correct this? What do I need to do to go after this? So he's assessing things. Once he assesses things, he comes back with the first eye and he informs the people, verse 16 and 17. 
and the rulers knew not whether I went out, what I did, neither had I uh, yet told any of the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor the rest that did the work. I didn't tell them anything, but I did give them a realistic perspective. Verse 17a, I said unto them, You see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Hey, I assess things. Here's a report I'm coming back with. It's not good. It's not good. It's a bad situation. I just want to inform you things are not great. So he informs the people. He gave them a realistic perspective. That's important. I mean, you want to, you want to give as real a perspective as possible. I kind of live on the optimistic side of the world, but I also understand pessimism has its value. You know, I want someone that does electrical work at my house to be a little bit pessimistic. All right? I want them to know the potential of an issue. I don't want them to be haphazard and be Norman Vincent Peel putting in their wiring for my house. I, I, I appreciate a positive mental attitude and all those things, but I want someone who lives in a real world when they're going to do that kind of work. And when you're doing spiritual work, and when you're doing something that God's called you to do, you want to be a realist about that. You want to be right where God wants you. And Nehemiah did the assessment, informs the people in a realistic perspective, and then he, he gave what I would say a compelling appeal. Look at the latter part of verse uh, 17. Verse 17, he says that everything lies in the gates of thereof and they burn with fire. Then he says, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach, a disgrace. Uh, I, you know, I'm not picking on anyone particularly, and I really do not have a particular group of person in my mind. But I think you perhaps would agree with me that there have been some people that claim the name of Christ, claim themselves to be Christian, but they're a bit of a disgrace. They're a reproach for the name of Christ. Nehemiah comes and he says, hey, Ezra came and built the temple, and this place is a chaotic mess. The walls are down, the gates are burned. Hey, you're representing God Almighty here. What are you doing? They were missing leadership. Godly leadership. God brings Nehemiah. Burdened heart. A realistic approach. A trusting faith. And he comes and he gives them a report. And I'm still amazed. That that's really all he says. But it inspired the people. That's my next part of my aim. <laughs> he assessed the situation. He informed the people. Now he inspired them. Look at verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And that's good. Hey, look. Number one, I got God's favor. And number two, I can tell you I got God's favor because he's already worked on the king's heart. I have his favor too. You know, the Bible tells us that when you live faithfully for him, even your enemies 
will speak well of you. There's a living example right here in Nehemiah. He said, I told him I, had, I got God's favor. I got the king's favor. Walls are down. Gates are burned. Verse 18. As also the king's words that had spoken unto me. And now they said, the people, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for this good work. Let us rise. I mean, my man knows how to give a speech. He had some people that were open to God. And they saw God's favor on his life, and they said, hey, you're right. You pointed out some things we didn't even notice. You know, you've got to have fresh eyes sometime to come into your life. You ever had blind spots? Of course, we all have them. That's why they call blind. But when you have someone that has a, a godly heart, biblical wisdom, God tells us in a multitude of those counselors, their safety. It's always good to get some good, godly, biblical mentoring, advice, whatever you want to call it, around you. And here we have it. These people, all of a sudden, it seems like to me all of a sudden, he gives a few words, now they're ready to rise up and build. They're ready to go. He ignited them. He informed the people, he comforted the people, verse 18, and then he committed, they all committed to a cause. Last thing, they move forward with God. But be reminded, where there's opportunity, opposition is right there. Look at verse 19. But when Samballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing you do? Well, you rebel against the king. Now, now they're getting political on them. Hey, who do you think you are, Chapel Hill Baptist Church? You're going to come in here and preach a straight gospel message from the Bible, live by biblical principles, people are going to laugh at you and they're going to scorn you and they're going to give all kind of challenge to you don't think it's going to be an easy slope it's not but God gets the last answer and Nehemiah he moved forward with God resist the distractions when you move forward with God you're going to have opposition you're going to have, first, you're going to have internal opposition. You're going to have internal opposition. I'm going to tell you, you're going to think, I'm not worthy of this. I can't do this. I'm not the kind of person that can have this happen. And you'll start to think unworthy thoughts. You'll have an internal challenge. That's a fact of life. Because Satan knows how to get you distracted. God absolutely has a plan for our lives, no doubt. But don't think for a second, as we talk about where there's opportunity, God's plan for your life, Satan will deliver opposition. He'll bring distraction. He'll cause you to distrust. He'll have you delay. He'll bring all kind of things to get you not to go, not to do, not to believe God. Well, 
The people did that. Nehemiah talked about moving forward with God, even in a time of opposition, which we absolutely will have. And he gives us that example. We fight with it internally. And then we get the external opposition. Others will say, they'll challenge you, even those close to you, that they may not know you. It may come in mocking or laughing or smirking or scorning as Nehemiah and the people experienced. That's what happened to them. Verse 20, though, Nehemiah responds to the external opposition and he reminded them of a few things. Number one, this is God's work and we're God's people. It's going to be accomplished in God's power and you don't have any part of it. You don't have anything to do with it. You have no memorial. You have no place of worship here. This is not for you to put your name on. And then he rallied God's people. Verse 20, the last part. The God of heaven will prosper us. And will rise up and build. When you move forward with God, remember all things are possible with God. And where God will guide you, he will direct you. Stay faithful to him. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the stamina that's needed. Seek him and trust him. And remember where opportunity comes, opposition also comes. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 reminds us, your labor's not in vain. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. I'm closing out with this. What's broken in your life? What is it that you need God to minister to today? What is it? Honest truth, and, and I, don't, I don't know your story, but I do know this. I, I was born at night, but not last night. So I know everybody's confronted with an opposition and a challenge. I'm just asking you to Yield your heart to God this morning. Let him have his way. And let him use you. You might say, well, I, I'm a nobody, or you don't know my story, or you don't know what I've done. You're right. And I don't need to know it. But I assure you, God knows everything. You ain't hiding a thing from him. Nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G with all capital letters. He knows it all. So I'd ask you to let him take aim on you this morning. Let him assess your heart. Let him bring to your attention what he wants you to give before him. And let him inspire you to move forward with him. Trust him. Believe him. If it's for salvation, if you've never truly... Maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you have. But you've never honestly given your heart to Christ. Lots of people like that. I meet more of them down here for some particular reason. <laughs> They're quick to tell you, I was born in a Christian family. I was, went to church all my life. And that's all great. I'm glad you were raised in a Christian family. And I'm glad you've been in church all your life. The question is, have you personally committed your life to Christ? Have you personally acknowledged your sin before him 
realized your need for a Savior and accepted His forgiveness no matter what and become a born-again believer. You know, the greatest challenge for um, finding in what's so-called the Bible Belt, I'm more inclined to think it's the church belt. Not a tremendous amount of Bible happening. And I don't want to ever think, but I know you get clear gospel here, and I'm so thankful for that. But I wouldn't want to leave this service if someone's never accepted Christ, that you didn't make sure of that salvation today. The other one, that might be someone here that says, you know what? I accept the challenge. God's assessed my life. I'm a believer. But I haven't really engaged and embraced what God has for me because I didn't, I didn't think I could do anything for God. I think I was worthy. Nehemiah tells us anyone's worthy. And God can do powerful things through nobodies that are yielded to him. And he gets the glory because it's all about him.